It's a dead man's party. Who could ask for more? It's about dead man's party. Leave your body at the door. Leave your body at the door. At the door. It's a dead man's party. Bama bama, who could ask for more? Bama bama, it's a dead man's party. Leave your body and soul at the door. It's a dead man's party. Bama bama, who could ask for more? It's the dead man's body. Leave your body and soul at the door. Ah. Hi, folks. So, recession going to happen very shortly. Just letting everyone know, obviously. Pretty clear. Uh, if it happens before November, Katie bar the door when we look at those midterms. Holy shit. Uh, all that, oh, Roe versus Wade uh, is going to energize the, the Democrats. Good fucking luck. Uh, it's going to be a bloodbath if that happens. We'll see. Obviously, I don't predict things anymore, but this crypto trap crash certainly feels like a uh, a tremor. The fact that, like, Amazon has, has been sliding into the oblivion for the last month. Uh, I mean, it was inevitable, right? The question really is, is can... The sort of uh, you know large scale uh, uh, f- monetary intervention that they did in March of 2020 uh, work again, or can you only hit that uh, button once? Uh, if not, then we're in for some very interesting times, to say the least. Uh, but who knows? I like I said, I, I'm economics not a strong suit. Like Brezhnev, you know, it's like, I'm not really, the economics I'm not too strong on. The ideology, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that all day. But anyway, uh, that's why I I cannot, uh, that's why I never invested in any crypto. Uh, that's why it has nothing to do with morality uh, so much as I have no idea how to do it or uh, how to do it in such a way that uh, wouldn't destroy me. I all I know is every time I go to Vegas, I try to do a three-team parlay and like football if I'm there during the season, so that I can, you know, hey, maybe a little cash. And every time I've done it, not only do I lose the parlay, which is not that hard because you only need one of the teams that you pick to lose, but I got it perfectly wrong. Like if I picked the opposite of what I thought was going to happen, I would have won. If there's a way for me to, I guess that's what hedge funds are for, but you got to already be a billionaire for that to work. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because, you know, if it happens, again, I'm not predicting. I'm now saying if. The real question is, can the print money button still work in that context, in a context where inflation is actually happening for the first time in 40 years? Now, you can talk about why inflation is happening, uh, but it's pretty clearly happening. And 
even if most of it is exogenous. Uh, and it's clearly not based on any like specific American policy because it's happening everywhere. Like that's what's so funny about. Uh, I mean, obviously it works because people are dumb, but just like trying to trying to razz poor Brandon over uh, inflation when it is happening everywhere is 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 not very fair. Uh, and you know. But what we've been talking about on this stream for years now, oh my God, years now, is the uh, is the fact that like the the weird stasis we're in is being held together by a uh, a economic status quo that even though it is steady and slowward is immiseration, the immiseration is steady and and down and steady and slow. I mean, if anything, you'd have to see like a private sector bank bailout. Like an actual attempt to do some sort of like corporate-based uh, debt jubilee or something like that. It would have to be corporate-based because there's no way in hell the, the government could uh, be expected to pass anything anymore. That's by design. Like the, the thing uh, – obviously we know that the wealthy rule, right, and that they dominate politics and determine what is acceptable policy. But like the real tool at this point uh, is – Less like a specific uh, proposals, specific policies benefiting specific industries, as it is uh, the effect that money has to make anything other than the routine corruption of bribed legislators operating on behalf of their patrons go through. But that means that in a time of crisis, you can't do anything except what they've been doing, which is the stuff that doesn't require legislation. Like Fed policy, so everyone is everyone has to wonder. Like, hey, the bad news is, you know, we might be seeing this deadlock break up. Uh, the good news, though, it's not like uh, anyone was enjoying themselves. You know, like that is, we get addicted to our misery. You know, and it makes us scared of anything else because we can only imagine it being worse. But you know. Fluidity kind of, uh, by definition, uh, includes a range of possibilities. And uh, you can't say anything else than that without doing the thing I was talking about, which is talking yourself into paralysis. I don't know. We'll see. Where we're going, we won't need roads. Uh, so I did this stream mainly to announce that, yes, I've decided just in time, maybe, for uh, for global capitalism to enter into its, per ter uh, uh, its terminal swan dive. Again, not predicting. This is all just in the air, and it might be for the rest of our lives. Who the fuck knows? Uh, that we are going to read for the book club, uh, the Leo Panitch and Sam Grindon classic, Making of Global Capitalism. And we'll do for the first, for next Friday, and I did this to give a little bit of like extra time for anybody to get the book or whatever. Next Friday, I'll talk about the intro and the first chapter, and then we'll figure out after that 
uh, like what pace to go at after I kind of see you know how how long it is. I sadly do not have the book. I had to get it with the the e version. Which I I appreciate the convenience of, but will never fully enjoy. Like if I'm reading on my phone, even though I'm reading a book, which you know is the thing that is better always and every time, better than being on the internet, it still feels like I'm on the fucking internet. I think I might have a follow-up. If we're still streaming, you know, if everything hasn't fallen apart, uh, I think after this book, we might do a book that I do have a, a copy of, a physical copy, First Class Passengers on a Sinking Ship by Richard Lachman, which I think will also be very appropriate. Yes, you should be revolted. I mean, even with the e-readers, though, and I, I've had the e-readers, it still feels like uh, uh, like I'm having the infernal demon stare into my soul instead of, you know, the contained and, and uh, long-form expression of a human mind, which is what a book is. One way or another, we're all going to have to find God to deal with this. That's what I really do believe. Broadly defined and, uh, and syncretic and, uh, and dialectical, which is why I, I have absolutely no truck with uh, neo-traditionalists, with people trying to bring back the old religion. Uh, to me, that is a sign that you kind of recognize. It's the same thing as, and it's not surprising a lot of the same people, it's the same psychic phenomena as the people who decided, oh, the problem with uh, – the, the reason we're here, I thought the problem was, uh, you know, we got these bad Republicans and then we've got these ineffectual or crooked Democrats. Uh, but the, the Democratic Party, like as, as a structure and as a social base, I should say a consumer base, is a more effective uh, – is a, is a hypothetical uh, – device to challenge power. And then we've all found out in the last five years, uh, no. I mean, it never was. We lost that opportunity a long time ago, but every generation has to discover it anew for themselves because they will never be convinced by past events that they didn't experience because of the motivated reasoning that goes into our political considerations. We can have all the jaded uh, veterans insist to us that no, this is all a dead end. None of this can work. But the alternative to that means if you want to do politics, you have to challenge the state with your body, come into existential conflict with power, which is a terrifying prospect that most people, not their fault, not because they're pussies or sellouts or actually reactionary, because they're human fucking beings, uh, are going to prefer. And so if that possibility exists to organize legally within the framework of the state for change in a way that feels meaningful, you're going to take it. And so there was nowhere else that this youth energy was going to go than into electoral politics. 
that is one of the funny things about people who insisted. Like the Sanders campaign was sheep dipping people away from revolution. No, it doesn't matter how more radicalized people were by 2008. Only very few of them are ever going to want to do the work of entering a cadre organization and go through political training and, and, and undergo the discipline of like a Leninist party because it's fucking boring, because it's tedious. They would rather do something else. And the prospect, therefore, of voting for a candidate in a major party that you can imagine actually winning an election is going to be more appealing to, once again, regular people. And those people who are in the cadres, it doesn't make them better. Some of them are better. Some of them are political holy warriors, John Browns of our age, God bless them. But a lot of them are just neurotic in a specific way that just uh, manifests itself in a political obsessiveness. So there is no way that the 2008, uh, that like Occupy or the OA crash was ever going to put some revolutionary uh, uh, position into, into existence. We were too. Yes, the uh, the crash destroyed like any hope, hope of generational advancement. But in the here and now, there is still benefits to be uh, to be gained as a totally. Uh, uprooted subject, somebody who cannot fend for themselves, who the prospect of living outside of the systems of capitalism and, and the culture of capitalism, uh, and so therefore are addicted to it in a, in a significant way. And so they're going to find an, a, a way to change things that doesn't put them in a jackpot. So they're going to vote in elections. It was going to be some kind of left challenge to Hillary, however it was conceived of. Uh, but like now the experience of it failing has made people have to come to that crossroads and look down and be like, okay, so what is political action? What is political subjectivity it, with this new knowledge? This knowledge of a thing that was always true that others from previous generations had experienced, but that we all had to experience for ourselves in order to be disabused of. We have to have the experience of it. We have had to have the memory of doing a thing and having it fail and, and remembering it as it happened, as opposed to looking backward at something that happened to other people. And a lot of people realize, oh, this Democratic Party is, is, a, uh, is a totally useless vessel. It can't be uh, a... Uh, it cannot generate class power. Well, as again, that brings you back to square one. Okay, if the legal methods of political uh, mobilization are lost to us, then what do we have to do to be political? That brings us to the imperative to be illegal, and nobody wants to do it. So, of course, some people are going to squint at the Republican Party, and because they have not experienced being inside the Republican Party, they have not experienced how culture in, interacts with, uh, with capital to guarantee that all the base, no matter how, what their uh, you know, uh, beliefs are about discrete issues, be it Medicare for all or anything else, are always going to be directed towards the ends of concentrated capital. They cannot be organized uh, orthogonally to it any more than they can in the Democratic Party. But if you haven't had that experience... Get on the ride again. Do it again. Uh, trade Bernie Sanders for Josh Hawley. 
Trade AOC for JD Vance. Or if you're super edgy, MTG. And then have the same experience again. Being comforted the whole time that your sterile engagement in a political spectacle is meaningful political action. A lot of the people who are having that experience are being having experienced uh, the the dead end of of, uh, of of materialist capitalism, the dead end of like a secular world that agrees collectively that only the material is real, that there is no agreed upon framework for conceptualizing uh, the invisible but real uh, interconnectedness of beings, otherwise known as God. Without that framework, we just dig monstrous, we just build statues to ourselves, uh, and they crumble immediately because they're made out of shit. Because we're we are we're turning inward, we're uh, hurting those around us, and then using that hurt that we experience from others to justify our behavior towards them, and then just making a life that just uh, manufacture just is buying shit, buying literal re- refuse, buying feces, and then stacking it into different shapes. That's they've experienced that, and they're like, no, thank you. But what do they want to replace it with? The exact same sterile structures of power-serving religious authority that brought about this moment, that brought about this new reality. Now, again, who I'm talking about, this is a fraction of people that is much magnified by being on the Internet. It's, 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 it's not uh, a politically significant force. Uh, in fact, it's, 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 going to be a, it's going to find itself to be politically much less powerful within the Republican Party, even than the left, quote-unquote, is within the Democrats. But it will have a similar long-term effect on the Republicans' actual agenda, uh, which is basically nothing. And the reason for that is that it doesn't matter what anyone's discrete opinion on any issue is. The only way that they can express their belief on an, on any opinion, uh, their opinion on any issue, and the only way that they can stack different issue preferences uh, in order of importance to determine what to do is to pick between the Democrats and Republicans. And the Democratic and Republican parties make policy according to organized um, interest, not disorganized interest. And 880 million Americans 
with just a, a Pringle tube worth of votes contributing to the election of a bunch of people who are spending every day and whose election was only possible with the uh, connivance and acceptance of a class of people who are fully aligned and conscious of their interests and have more than their votes to give, have money. This cannot be defeated from below. Because you can say, oh, look, all these people believe in this stuff. And you can run someone who says they believe in this stuff. Well, even if you can beat the person who's going to just press the culture button, which at this point is much more uh, central to people's political identity, they get in, their, uh, their position as minority will neutralize them. But yes, we can't... Uh, the the what the Catholic Church Catholic Church has been the un uh, the Catholic Church has been the Catholic Church's power in Italy, Spain, Ireland has never really been challenged. It's been shaved down over the years, but the cultural influence of the Catholic Church and it's though that influence is in. Uh, Reinforcement in like state structures in the Mediterranean is still uh, potent and has only recently even begun to really decline. And yet, those countries, no one believes in fucking God. In fact, it, it, it is being under the rule into modernity of a power serving political uh, uh, religious structure. That has made them uh, uh, discarded. Not their, not even their uh, their narcissism necessarily. Their experience of the uh, of the church, and those guys have the same birth rate problems that we do. And then you got a guy like Orban. Yeah, he, he, he says awesome based stuff about uh, Soros, but his government is literally just about taking EU subsidies and dumping them into the hands of his uh, patronage network. And if you have religion being su- supporting these sort of cynical neoliberal, sorry, you're not escaping it this way, political structures, it will only breed cynicism. It won't breed belief in anything. Man, somebody's talking about India. India scares me. I got to say, that was, uh, I think we talked about this when we talked about um, Ministry for the Future. By the way, the first chapter of the Ministry for the Future, the the 20 million dead heat wave in India, uh, we're getting like a stage rehearsal for that right now, which is very terrifying. I mean, it's only fucking May and it's 120 degrees. Uh, we're getting near that wet bulb number that we're all terrified to think of. And of course, in Ministry of the Future, uh, that leads to this new, like, global commitment to uh, to ending uh, 
climate change, and also leads to the overthrow of BJP in India. That, like, the Hindutva thing is discredited and overthrown. And I gotta say, in the world we live in, it seems much more likely that continued climate crisis in India is going to lead to a full-scale uh, uh, genocide against the Muslims there. Because who are you going to be madder at about, you know, it being 100 degree, 120 degrees every day, your family member, your older family members dying? Who are you going to be madder at? Who are you going to be more viscerally angry at if that happens? What, the global north or, or your prime ministers or somebody who you can hit right now? Somebody that you can lay hands on. Because if we understand politics to be about, like, yes, it's about seeking an interest, but that interest is defined by a libidinal drive. Like, uh, socialism is supposed to align those. So that your your will to power and your libido is aligned with the broader project of overthrowing capitalism. And we did have, like that alignment did occur in places, and places in America, and times. But it's unstable, and it was defeated over and over again. And now it barely exists anywhere. I mean, India is a place that does have a, like a huge communist party, but, you know, that's also because it's a gi- gigantic fucking country. And there's, the BJP is bigger. Because voting is one act that feels good to do, but the less comfortable you are, the less satisfying that vote is or the, the, it, of your urges. The more you want to do something else, something additional. And the thing you're going to want to do, it's going to involve conflict with someone, the attempt to overthrow and to dominate somebody. And I say, if, you, if, you're, if you're outraged at your life conditions, uh, immediately transfers into a rage at capital and its representatives, then that urge to do violence one way or the other uh, can be directed productively. But if you don't have that framework, that heuristic for processing your pain, then whoever, then who you're going to blame for it is going to come after the the uh, is, is going to come after the more important question of who can I take this out on? And that's, that's at this stage, that is what we have turned people into. So yeah, we're having a fun time tonight. As I said, this is all terrifying, but also the present is terrifying, you know? The only thing that really changes is your ability to uh, imagine the continuation of your specific uh, and, uh, and comfortable misery. But discomfort leads to a bunch of things.
Uh, and it's the fear we, well, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about myself here, but I think what often happens is that we, we, I, we basically, uh, identify discomfort and make it identical to, uh, annihilation because we are so addicted to the narrow, the few comforts we can stack together. But there will be, but discomfort can come with it greater satisfaction than the meager uh, uh, things you can scrape together by, you know, trying to stay on the beam. And that's why we must always function. At the end of the day, we are all uh, required, not by some transcendent moral obligation, but by, for, uh, by, Actual self-interest, fully considered, to be optimists. Because optimism requires action, requires interaction, requires vulnerability, exchange, love. And those things, regardless of uh, your material conditions, enrich your life in a way that can't be found in the uh, in the isolated life of someone who's uh, feels spiritually castrated, and that means that if ter- the terrible thing does happen, the terrible thing that we're all ter- that we all can't even speak of, not some uh, swift apocalypse. As I said, that would be a that would be a blessing. Rather a a uh, a mid twentieth century vibe. Let's put it that way. A early seventeenth century European vibe, or early seventeenth century worldwide vibe. I should say, since this is sort of a a replay of the crisis of the seventeenth century in a lot of ways. Uh, you'll be actually able to deal with it, even if it destroys you. It will destroy you only physically which is inevitable for us anyway, which is built in. But we will meet that death with purpose, which is all that we're ever seeking. I think that uh, if anyone saw The Northman, I think that that, uh, it's a great film, and and it's very good at showing the alien psychology of the pre-modern world. And, And by doing so, it shows something that we do not understand, which is to live with a socially reinforced, fully committed to, existentially, spiritually uh, grounded, and incontestable purpose. We will all die anyway is the most hollow sentiment when being asked to ground, be ground into meat for capital. That is not what I'm talking about. What are you, ta- what are you talking about? I'm talking about uh, adapting to changing conditions by decoupling oneself from the treadmill of, uh, of narrow, short-term uh, uh, sensory satisfaction, which is what is going to grind you into capital because – what capitalism is and the thing that makes it different is that it is fundamentally 
uh, existentially self-enforcing in a way that no previous economic order ever was. Thanks to technology's intervention into the dynamic of class rule. The coercion that formerly resided largely in alienated social structures, institutions, and literally people is now internalized. And it is fear of death because of our lack of faith that keeps us compliant. What I'm saying is that the fact of death, that it is inevitable, means that the task of coming to terms with it is not, op- is not uh, optional. You cannot not confront it. The treadmill we're talking about that keeps you on, uh, you know, one foot in front of the other uh, necessitates a project of continually avoiding. So, yeah, we're all going to die anyway is how you stop allowing yourself and all of us allowing ourselves from being ground up because what's the worst that can happen? And if that's it and you can find a symbolic language to carry the knowledge around with you that death isn't, you know, the end of anything that, that, you know, you're basically a ghost already then the end of uh, you know the narrow band of pleasure that we're allowed is not the end of the world as we imagine it now because a life without pleasures material pleasures is by avoiding Like, oh, or I mean, without those things, we can't avoid anymore. We can't avoid having to confront it. I mean, I'm, once again, I'm speaking for myself, but like, as long as I had a, a pleasure in front of me, or more realistically, the prospect of a pleasure in front of me, uh, I could think about that pursuit. I did not have to sit with the emptiness that modern life creates. Because here's the thing. If you sit with it long enough, it fills up. Because empty is the same thing as full, right? If nothing means anything, then everything means everything. That might sound like gibberish, but I really do believe it. And I think that's... That is what you end up with in, in silence, which is what we all seek to avoid because we're scared of the emptiness and so scared that we would rather spend the brief time we have avoiding it than grappling with it. And like that's what the phones have done for us. There's no time left that you have to just be with yourself. You, you can spend your entire day, and I, God knows I did, 
for years, never having to be with yourself, to be able to, to follow a, a breadcrumb trail of, of desire away from your center. But the thing is, if you spend enough time with it, it there is a transformation. Now, the problem is, for you that, that knowledge to be translated into action, it has to be socially reinforced and reflected, which is what we have destroyed. Those structures don't exist anymore. So, instead, like, those previous people who just walked around with purpose, like, they couldn't avoid it. Like, in Northman, he he's runs away from, and he's, like, hanging out with berserkers, doing raids, and he's avoiding, you know, the, the vow he made to his, his father. And then he is, he's fucking shaman pops up. Bjork shows up, which is his repressed self-conscious saying, hey, get back on the fucking uh, path, idiot, which is a voice we all feel and hear, but we cannot manifest it. It can only be this, the cacophonous, modern stream of consciousness. It cannot be uh, alienated into, like, the thing that, the voice that we need to hear, which is a voice from outside. Because any voice that we know is our own, we also know where its uh, interests lie. And we know that it is self-serving. And so that we can second-guess it and then spend our time neutralizing it. This is in, like, the first act of the movie. I don't think this is really a spoiler. Also, it's based on Amalek. It's already out there, a.k.a. Hamlet. You know what happens in Hamlet. Come on. Uh, yes, he was high on mushrooms. He didn't know it, that that made you high. He doesn't know what high means. What are you fucking talking about? It just thinks it's a, why would one mushroom just you eat, and why would one mushroom poison you, and why would one, one mushroom make you see Bjork? I'm, I'm saying is that his brain is, is unmediated uh, in a way ours isn't, which means that he can have a conf- confrontation in the form of uh, Bjork with his subconscious. Now, of course, his destiny, the thing he should be doing, is not a good thing that someone should do. He's offered the choice to you know, choose love, and he doesn't choose it. Because he was acculturated into a savage warrior society that murdered and pirated and that wanted to create people who would murder and pirate. But once he's back on the path, he uh, loses the, the angst that he had had and he just hurdles towards this annihilation that fulfills his destiny. Once again, spoiler alert, but as I said, Hamlet. And this is why I'm with Marx, that we cannot do what Grab Grow want us to do and just will ourselves into a different mind space. Because the culture we're in conditions us at such a level that, yes, the... Uh, the basic like communion with the universe that we all feel was in Viking society transmitted into this kill command. But because it was socially reinforced, because it was, uh, is, uh, you know, imprinted at a very young age, like the, the, the initiation scene where him and his dad go into the cave and, and, and roll around. 
Uh-huh. He can't challenge that. That is deeper than anything else. It has to be changed, not in his lifetime, but over lifetimes. New social arrangements have to be built that create different understandings of the world, that confuse our sympathetic nervous system's connection to the universe with a practice of love. What do you mean Northman is not real history? Of course not. It's the myth they told each other. And we know it worked. They fucking conquered, uh, what? They, they, they just took over northern France. And the French just said, here, we'll give it to you. Don't stop stabbing us. They took Sicily. They took it away from the Moors. Took it away uh, from the Berbers. Ran Ireland and England for a while. Considering that it's the asshole of nowhere... It's a lot of fucking uh, porpoise fuckers. That is an effective regime of coercing consent. Not through force, but through social reality. We all live in social realities that do that work. Now, it can work one way in a plunder society where all of the males are able to uh, avoid being or feeling exploited within their social structure by acquiring uh, uh, from others by expressing violence outward. But a contained social order, the modern social orders we have now, for example, they can't do that. Social reality changes because changes have material reality. Modernity creates the condition where a universal subjectivity can be kept in your head. And we all have it to one extent or another. Like racists, of course, you know, think, oh, look, look at me and my, look at my phylum of humanity. Look at how I've all got them laid out according to haplogroup and, and their worthiness according to that. That's all cope. That's all them trying to claw back something that they cannot fully dispossess themselves of, which is a notion of a human subjectivity. Eyes looking back at you. Uh, and that is that globalized uh, networks of uh of economic extraction were necessary to build that cosmopolitan social relations in a de secular in a secularized context that is a place where sectarian religious uh, worlds could be dissolved was necessary those 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 isolated religious worlds had to dissolve The fight for the working class was, was the spiritual project that was supposed to reawaken them and reform them. And if it had maintained itself, if it had maintained its forward momentum, it would have. But as soon as it began to uh, uh, retreat from conflict with capital into accommodation within it, 
uh, it's the spiritual project that died or began to die. You know, once again, this takes generations to occur. But yeah, we're all going to meet in the in the in the sweet by and by anyway. No matter what's on the horizon, we all have to still live. And we should live in a way that allows us to attune our desire for purpose with uh with our love of others. And that means abandoning politics as a uh, release valve, as a, as a as a spectacle, and reformulating it as uh, as a daily act. Because that means that no matter what discomforts, dis, uh, dissolution. And danger come, that purpose will, uh, what it will do is will, it will tell you what to do in the moment. And I think that's the thing that scares us about this is that we, we, have, we have made peace with our lives as they are, and we know how to respond to the questions that we are asked every day, to press a lever, a yes or no, to avoid the worst and to get the better, to avoid the electric shock in the Skinner box and to get the pellet. We know what answers to give. The thing we're scared of about a different arrangement more than anything is that we won't know what to do. We won't know which door to go through. And felt purpose, pursued purpose, as opposed to felt and pursued uh, uh, rejection, distraction uh, from that purpose that comes from listening to the to the void within, uh, listening and waiting for it to fill, cuts through the paralysis that makes us so afraid to leave our comfort zone. And even now, even if things stay where they are, stay, stay static, the pursuit of purpose like that can make it so that maybe the questions that were so soothing because they only had one answer, all of a sudden, Another answer becomes possible. Another answer becomes pursuable. Uh, and then we break our relationship to our lives away from being fully dominated as we are now. So, yeah, I mean, while we're, while we're all uh, waiting... With fear and trembling. Uh, we can take the time we do have to try to listen, to try to sit with ourselves and see what arises. Because 
We've been robbed of a uh, of a common symbolic language to make sense of that. You know, we can't. Bjork's not going to pop up. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we cannot, because of our own experiences in life, uh, find something that works for us in the moment, and that then we can then use for future action. This is my chair is good. I have a new chair. It's got a back, so I'm not I'm not tipping on this bench. So it's very comfortable now. Because there's the thing: if 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 Bjork shows up, and you think that if you think, oh, that's Bjork, that's my subconscious telling me what I should be doing then if what it's telling you you should be doing is scary, you'll never do it. Until forced to by outside actions. You'll never initiate progress towards it. You got to think that Bjork is different. You got to think Bjork is, is somebody else. You got to think it's, it comes from something else. And I think even like the most, uh, you know, uni- uh, 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 universalist, mushy new age conception of God can have that in it because if we do accept the notion that, you know, God is everything and we are connected to them because of our, uh, you know, our role as a single, you know, pinprick into a, uh, like a giant night sky of, of, of God eyes or, or like that we're all any, any hippie bullshit you want to fucking, uh, used to describe it. We're all facets on a diamond or something like that. Then there is still a, that is a connection to something that is so vastly beyond our ability to conceive of, but that we still interact with at a visceral cellular level that is also too vast for us to interact with. Like how much of our mind is doing stuff without us knowing it and has to, because if we had to pay attention to it all, we wouldn't be able to do any of it. That information is there. This is what we're talking about when you talk about subconscious. So it's not just our subconscious. It is a beam from a greater, a higher consciousness, a higher being. And its orders can direct us with that same certainty, even if we know that it's just our minds. Because we know that even that is not just us. Because we're not in our heads alone. There is no... uh, Yeah, the self is obviously an illusion. I mean, you are just the accumulation of what you have encountered. Symbols have power to you because you have seen them reinforced otherwise. And your definition of terms is entirely embedded in the context that you have encountered them. Which is why everything ends up, conscious politics ends up being this sterile conflict between these uh, fake binaries. Because they can only 
see their reflection in the mirror and try to punch it. That's all politics can be, absent a material imperative. But again, this is not a process that is going to happen because some asshole, you know, writes a book about it or or starts an app. It's going to happen because people in their millions and billions are going to have to, by necessity, address their relationship to their lives. Now, they're not all going to do it, and they're not going to do it at the same time and in the same way. But some of them are. You might be one of them. And even if it all comes to nothing and we're all swallowed by the sea, your end will have had meaning, which will have meant that you will have been redeemed in the fight. And that's all that we can seek, because anything else that we seek is a delay of an inevitable, of an inevitable reckoning with the fall from, uh, from material embodiment to disembodiment to the end of the body. And that means it's going to be people coming to these realizations individually in the greater project of trying to survive. It was well-conceived in theory, but it doesn't work in life. Comrade has to wonder, is it even worth the effort? If you're ever less than certain about the world, please don't let this worry get your way into your work. And if you would, stick up for me in the face of great adversity. Know that I would do it. All the same. For it was well conceived in theory, but it doesn't work in life. Me, I will not write it off, not ever having tried. Uh, What's happening in Sri Lanka? I mean, the future, Mr. Gitz. Happening now. You know? Like, you don't really have to do a lot of... I, I used to be an idiot and think, oh, man, I hope I don't die while things are still going to going down because how am I going to know what's going to happen? It's like, you can figure it out, man. All you got to do is look around you and just imagine what is happening in some places happening in others. Somebody's asked, is Children of Men the best film of that decade? Uh, I mean, I absolutely think so. And one of the best films of the 21st century. Uh, I saw that film in the theater, and I uh, I was at the end of it absolutely like stunned, uh, and I cried and I was shaking because I felt like I had seen like the future, and I knew in my heart that I was not going to do anything about it, that I wasn't going to be able to meaningfully address it because of my deeper knowledge that it was unavoidable. And of course, you know, it shows that uh, 
the value of, of art cannot be reduced to its political utility because, like I said, I saw this movie. It, it cracked me open. Did it make me into some sort of uh, uh, political uh, jihadist who, you know, sacrificed for the greater good? No. I, I found myself uh, following the, the, the electoral politics breadcrumb trail and the, uh, the emotive internet uh, political culture breadcrumb trail just like everybody else including tons of people who saw that movie. All that art can do is provide like a single brick in a wall of life experience that will eventually come to a point, will eventually be turned into something that can be uh, lived in. Yeah, somebody says that The Master is like the ultimate movie about America. Certainly post-war America. Uh, like, if you think of that movie as, an, as a way, it's like, as, as the post-war American male psyche trying to uh, assimilate the trauma that it had just experienced in a culture that refused to allow that to happen. A culture that said, okay, I know that happened to you guys. That's a real bummer. But now that's over. Come back to America. Live like you're a normal person. Live like that didn't happen to you. And then you have this psych this schizophrenic split that occurs between you have the person who has who uh, in response to that trauma decides to become entirely mind entirely rationality or or some pseudo version of of mastery of 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 the carnal and the person and the and the uh the the uh the rampaging and uh, unleashed libido uh, and the the uh the the spirit sort of chased out of the body, and the whole movie is this you know this lock this this binary star system between these two who just can't stop wanting to be near each other even though they uh, can't stay together, uh, just like the uh, the fractured post war mind held together, but in this state of uh, of constant polarized uh, excitement I stopped logging movies on letterbox just because I don't know letterbox was kind of bumming me out the whole culture over there and I felt like I had I was doing uh, one of these awful websites to be on is enough
So he says, imagine how much worse it was in Europe. Well, in Europe, one way or the other, they got to confront the trauma because they couldn't escape it. It was their fucking, it was their fucking uh, countries. And that's one of the reasons that politics there, uh, you know, maintained its vigor. Someone says their coworkers want to get into NFTs. I guess they want to buy the dip. Good luck. That's all I can say. Somebody's asking about American balkanization. It's not going to be state by state. Once again, I I don't know. If it happens, I doubt it would be states by states, civil war style. It would be it would be it would be archipelagos of urbanity in in seas of uh, of uh, exurban uh, uh, reaction, and you would have different local regimes in power there, enforcing different social uh, rules serviced by, you know, uh, a single, largely privatized uh, supply chain. And, like, there'd be, you know, there'd be places that you could get, like, a whole... uh, uh, zone of control across geography, but a lot of it would be you know, serious style. I just think that's way more likely than uh, like fascism from the center. But, you know, hey, I've been wrong before, certainly. We'll see. Uh, somebody asked about the American Carnation Revolution. I know that I've joked about that before. Uh, I don't actually think that's terribly likely. But I got to say, this this thing with the uh, Texas National Guard uh, trying to unionize is pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, I, that's unprecedented. That's another thing that's never happened before. I mean, obviously, it's not a huge movement, but you know, it shows that uh, that you cannot assume the uh, the uh, solidarity, the, t- the total internal solidarity of all these structures of power. And if you can't, then, you know, opportunities open up, certainly. I mean, I'm not saying, like, that's going to mean anything. Probably won't. It's just interesting. 
Because, you know, what happened was is that uh, as an election uh, stunt, uh, uh, Governor uh, Governor Hot Wheels, what's his name, uh, Greg Abbott, sent a bunch of National Guardsmen up on very short notice to secure the border. And they just stood around. It was a total photo op. And they got pissed. They got pissed to just arbitrarily be sent there and, and told to do that. And, you know, you, I think that uh, when you look at this kind of question uh, too schematically, you think, oh, Texas National Guardsmen being told to go defend the border, they were probably psyched. They were probably uh, doing chants and marching in and jackboot unison to, to carry out their white supremacist power fantasies. Some of them might have been, but a lot of them were guys who were like, hey, I, I got to cancel my barbecue or like I can't go into work. And now I got to stand around in a fucking field like an asshole. And that will have the effect of detaching people from these, uh, you know, uh, these uh, ties of, of like cultural affinity. Oh, man, somebody wants to know more about Fort Bragg. Uh, we're going to do an episode soon, a deep dive about Fort Bragg. Holy fuck, man. Seriously. The fact that it's the goddamn headquarters of goddamned JSOC. It's like, what the fuck? Now, of course, it could just be, yeah, that's what the U.S. military does. You put enough military guys together and certainly enough special operators and they will eat themselves. Like the, the the concentrated psychic poison in a place like that cannot it's going to go places, but I would say that in addition to just the general you know uh, uh, cannibalistic vibe that a place like that probably curates, there's at the very least significant drug arms and maybe human trafficking going on there. Now that could all just be the kind of organized crime you would imagine to see in a city full of armed dudes who are getting paid government salaries. And it's happening under the brass's eyes without their under knowledge. That's probably some of it. But again, we know for a fact that any significant or organized crime organization in the world has ties to the U.S. Uh, you know, deep state intelligence community. That's not conspiracy theory. That's not paranoia. That's fact. You know, like it's it's. You don't even have to go back to Air America or the fucking uh, uh, or Operation Gladio or any of that shit. We know we have it pretty well confirmed that the DEA or that the CIA and elements within the DEA uh, not only created the Zetas. And you could say once again, oh, uh, those guys got their training and then turned on them. OK, fine, whatever. They still trained them. They still were in contact with them, but also uh, supported with like intelligence the Sinaloa cartel, and it's war with them. The amount of, the access to, uh, un to unlimited, basically, and untraceable funds provided by organized crime, and also the, uh, the guarantee of loyalty that you have with an organized crime organization uh, is completely unprecedented. You can't buy it elsewhere. If you're working as a guy, if you're working with, with an organized crime group, you do not have to worry about them tr uh, betraying you to the communists, at least during the Cold War it went, because 
You knew for a fact that what they cared about was money. So as long as you're paying the most, and Uncle Sam always has the deepest pockets, you're assured of their loyalty. So if there's a fucking, uh, you know, uh, if there's any kind of heavy-duty organized crime happening at Fort Bragg, it is someone probably knows about it at a, at a high level, and it's serving some interest. That doesn't mean they're sacrificing people in a vault underneath, but, I mean, I don't know. I would say that it's likely all those things are happening at once. You've got just, you know, the regular domestic violence that happens when you have a bunch of uh, troops together in one place who've been traumatized by war. Then you add to that uh, uh, just the ambient uh, aggression spilling out. Uh, And also, you know, people just doing low-level organized crime. And then there's probably some people there who are doing, like, real, you know, uh, fucking... uh, Iran-Contra style shit, like moving weight. And it's all probably happening at the same time. And then everyone's covering for each other. The, the fact that there was a one person whose guy, one troop whose body was found in his bunk in an advanced state of decomposition. Are you fucking kidding me? Guy who got beheaded by other troops on a camping trip. Damn near, damn near behind ever beyond everything, Ed Tom. Damn near beyond everything. Yeah, I heard that Trump wanted to bomb Mexico. Of course he did, because he doesn't know. He doesn't know about the deal. He doesn't know that because this is how this is how it works is that you've got people on the political side who genuinely think we're at war with there's a war on drugs that we are pursuing towards an end and then there are people who work there every day and whose jobs don't depend on elections who are uh informed of the deeper reality that this stuff is permanent fixture of the world economy we couldn't get rid of it if we wanted to and we don't want to my god oh Tons of untraceable cash. We get to arm uh, uh, reliably right-wing forces in countries that we're exploiting colonially. And we get to flood our deindustrialized urban and rural areas with pacifying pacifying drugs that also might have the effect of uh, knocking off some of that surplus welfare population. Where is the downside? Oh, and justify giant military and police budgets federally and state. And incarceration, where is this, and where is anywhere in this a disincentive? Where is there any disincentive from somebody who doesn't depend on elections uh, uh, to want to end this? If they could, and again, even if everyone was aligned in the government, you know what? Fuck that. We're ending, we're uh, ending this shit. It wouldn't even work. It wouldn't happen. And it's that knowledge that persists. And what you had during the Trump presidency was Trump was just in there like a little kid uh, in a helicopter moving all the bells and whistles and moving all the fucking buttons according to his id, 
his unstructured political desires, which were just shit he'd seen on TV, the opinions of an actual grumpy old Republican. Ah, these drug cartels, why don't we just kill them all? Well, well, let's let's just kill these guys. It's like, uh uh-huh, yeah, very nice. Uh, No, you can't do that. Yeah, the worst thing to happen, and it was totally inevitable, though, uh, the worst thing to happen, popular politically, is is for this concept of the deep state to be branded uh, in association with the Republicans. And, of course, there's a bunch of morons who then think, okay, now i got to support uh, the Republicans because, you know, they've got this folk conception of the deep state that is more accurate than the liberal fantasy of deliberative government. But their version of it is this inevitably right-wing fantasy that is just the, the er, the er, uh, anxiety of, of fascism. The other, the alien other perverting our institutions from inside. It's inherent. It's, it's always ends up being anti-Semitism because there has to be someone to blame. What, what, what the left offers is a systemic critique that eliminates blame and eliminates the need to assign blame, allows you to identify systems and points within systems to attack collectively. And, you know, people can say, oh, this or that piece of popular culture, this or that political project is a PSYOP. It's a Fed. Alex Jones is a Fed or whatever. Maybe, but I can totally see how it happens naturally or, you know, naturally, just as an outcome of, of capitalist alienation. Uh, the, 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 consu- the, the, the subsumption of all politics in narrative spectacle and what we, what we absorb narratively. We have a folk understanding that people are in charge of things, of events, that systems are invisible in our telling of our lives and our world to ourselves. What we read in the newspaper, what we see on television, what we see in movies, they all tell us that that structures are secondary to the wills of the people within them. And so that means that our uh, when things go bad, our ability to explain to ourselves what's going bad requires a cast of specific villains. And only re- conservatism, specifically, uh, you know, fascism, uh, conservatism in, in crisis, bourgeois liberalism in crisis, the whole system in crisis, uh, can offer that. Liberalism offers another version of bad guys, white male millionaires, white male rich guys. And that's why their solution is, oh, diversify power. And of course, that's, that's not going to get there any more than uh, than your fucking Q trials would. The left alternative to both of those is a systemic critique, which is gone. It was there in glimmers. It had to be expressed largely through the Democratic Party, so it was uh, baffled. 
It had to contend with a culture that was personalized, but it was there. It was, it was a voice. It was an echo. And now it's been quieted. All right. So that's today's. Next Friday, we'll be doing Introduction to Chapter 1 of Panitch and Gidlin's The Rise of Global Capitalism. That's right, folks. We love it when capitalism rises in a global fashion, since we're now perhaps living in its decline. No, no perhaps about it. We're definitely living in its decline. Uh, just where in the phase is the only real question. All right. Take it sleazy. Next Friday. Talk to you then.